Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, let us take a moment to thank God for securing victory in the American courts this week with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The sanctity of life is once again protected by the legal system, as intended by the founders of this country. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, we do our best on this podcast to keep out of politics, but regardless of what political stance you take, understand this. This is not a political issue. The sanctity of life is a biblical issue. No matter how you try to explain it, abortion is murder and a defilement of God's commandments. While this is a significant win to God's glory, the enemy will be preparing a counterattack, and we are the targets. We need to stay strong in our faith, and today's podcast will help to teach you how. So we're going to be continuing a series that I introduced a couple weeks ago that pertains to how we as Christians are supposed to conduct ourselves in an evil world. I first introduced 10 things that we have to stand for as believers, and last week we discussed some of the tactics that the powers and principalities of, the, of this world employ in order to not only get us off track with God's plans in our lives, but also to keep the unsaved populace firmly within their grasp of influence. So, how do we have peace in a world on edge? Today, we're going to explore something that God commanded us to do through Paul while we are in the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In order to get the whole context of what we're going to be talking about today, we will be reading verses 1 through 12. The word says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and attend to your own business, and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So let's make sure we understand this part 
from what Paul's talking about. Including what we read, it's important to understand the geographical context at this time and place as well. The city of Thessalonica was nearby the nation of Greece, and this entire area was steeped in paganism. Now, when I was in high school, we had to read books about Greek mythology and take exams about Zeus, Athena, Hermes, and all the things that went on in the godly realm, so to speak. And to us, it may be mythology, but to the people of Thessalonica, those were their real gods. Imagine for a moment that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Apostle Paul and became a Christian in Thessalonica. If you read Acts chapter 17, this will tell you the story of what Paul went through in Thessalonica. And you can see the bigger picture of what Paul went through in order to witness in the city and start a church there. Since the city was near Mount Olympus, the worship of these gods was in direct opposition to the teaching of Paul. And they wanted him out. And they were able to kick him out of town. So imagine being a new Christian in a heavily pagan land like this. That must have been very hard to stay strong in the faith. And so you kept going as best as you could. But then one day, you receive a letter from Paul himself that offers you praise, encouragement, and new instructions. I can only imagine how amazing that day was for the Church of the Thessalonians. But did you notice something at the end of chapter 4 that we read? Notice that part at the end of the last three verses there, where he says that they were to lead a quiet life, mind our own business, and work with our hands. So there are three things that we can conclude from his statement. Number one, we are to avoid being gossips, busybodies, and avoid pointless arguments. Number two, we're supposed to provide for ourselves through hard work, avoiding all laziness and depending on anyone but God for your basic needs. And then lastly, we are to live in peace with the people around us. This sounds simple enough, but we have to explore this one much more thoroughly. As Christians, there tend to be grave misunderstandings of what it means to be peaceful. In a literal sense, it does mean that violence should have no part with us, and that we should conduct ourselves in a calm, reposed manner. But, does the Bible agree with my statement? Let's find out. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 18 says this, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Matthew 5.9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Mark 11.25 Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Ephesians 4, 31-32 Let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. James 1, 19-20 This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What do you think so far? I'd say that the Bible is pretty clear about how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the world. But let's make one more thing clear. There is an important difference between being peaceful and being a pacifist. The whole idea of turning the other cheek, as Jesus teaches, is important and surely should be our default reaction to any offense or hateful comment directed at us. However, we as Christians are not being taught to be doormats, to be kicked around. Just like Romans 12 says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So, is it saying that there is an alternate reaction when we're being persecuted or treated harshly by people? Especially people who are ignorant to the truth? Yes, yes there is. And I'll show you what the Bible says about that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Go down to verse 7 real quick. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Solomon understood that there are times where we are to be peaceful and love our neighbor as ourselves, surely. But there will be times where we will have to take our stand in the name of the Lord. We are to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And sometimes, when situations are entirely unacceptable or abhorrent to the Lord, we have to take action and speak against these things. Take a look at the infamous part of Scripture that talks about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And let's just look at verse 13 for the moment. It says this, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and, having done everything, to stand firm. There are two important things to note here. One is that we are supposed to take up the full armor of God not just whatever parts are convenient at any given moment. Brothers and sisters, need I remind you that we are constantly in a state of war? And again, this is not a war of flesh and blood, which it says earlier in the chapter, but we are up against spiritual forces that have two primary goals. Seeing you die, or seeing you fail. Therefore, we have armor, we have a shield, and we have a sword to confront our enemies. Weapons and armor are not for civilians. 
They're not for innocent bystanders, and they're not for powerless people. But they're for warriors. You and I are warriors. God has graciously supplied us with this armor, and we simply just need to wear it by being daily and diligently in the Word of God and depending on His power. Those who confront evil lazily or passively or just try to stay out of it altogether will be utterly defeated. There's no doubt of that. The second thing to keep in mind is that it says that after having done everything to stand firm, it's to say that you've exhausted all of the options of being peaceful without being a doormat. Seeing that you have run out of options to be respectful to authority or peaceable with your fellow man or showing kindness to others, we are to use the training that we've invested in ourselves to stand our ground. This means not surrendering to evil agendas, not defending what we know to be of God, or worst of all, to denounce the Lord in the process. All of these are evil things, and the worst thing that we could do is abandon the Lord. So know this, that these times will come, and if they haven't come yet, they are coming. Jesus himself stated that we will undergo suffering in his name and that the world will hate us. In fact, it's hard not to see that the world hates us right now. But knowing how powerful our God is and the promises that he's made to us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why not? Why shouldn't we fear or be troubled? There's a lot of fearful things and troubling things in the world. It's because of what Jesus also said in John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. You do have suffering. But take courage. I have overcome the world. What is he saying? He's saying that the victory has already been won. He already died on the cross for our sins. He's already defeated death by resurrecting from the dead. He has already declared that Satan and his forces will be defeated by the edge of his sword. Just like God said when he would send the Israelites into battle, he would tell them to go, for I have given those enemies of yours into your hand. Meaning, I've already won the battle for you. You just need to go and secure it in faith. How amazing is that? May the Lord be praised in this. So, in light of God's promises to us, how are we to wage war against these spiritual forces? Consider these things. Number one, know how to defend yourself. This will require having knowledge of his word and trusting in him through the hard times. Just like a soldier in the military, we need to constantly be training in righteousness 
which is why the Bible was written for us, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. 1 Peter 3.14-17 says this, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. The second thing to consider. Reject anything that is against the Bible. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says that we are to be in subject to our governing authorities because God is the one who put them in authority. But when it moves to the position where we have to make a choice between obeying God and obeying our earthly authority, we automatically should seek the things of God instead of the things of man, even if that means refusing something that will have negative consequences in our life. That's hard to accept sometimes. But consider this. Do you trust God enough to deliver you out of that circumstance? Isn't he capable of blessing you far more than the world can? Why would we even debate whether or not something is right? The third thing. Teach the truth and the gospel and let God handle the rest. This is where memorization of scripture and God's laws are most effective. We rebuke evil agendas and personal assaults on our character through countering with Scripture. Why else would the Word of God be called the sword that we wield in battle? It's because the battle is much bigger than us, and we have no power of our own to wage war with Satan. But God can, and He richly blesses us with the means to deflect these attacks and to slay his evil intentions. The fourth thing, leave room for the Holy Spirit to act. Again, the power is not ours, but it's from the Holy Spirit. Let him be the one to direct you on when to say something and when to stay silent. John 16, 8 says, and he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment. I caution you to not take matters into your own hands. It's tempting sometimes, but it is not the right thing to do. Because again, we have no power in ourselves. God is completely capable of defending himself. And sometimes the Holy Spirit uses you in that defense. And lastly, love your enemies. And that's probably the hardest one on this list. This attribute that is within us as Christians is a sign that you are truly a Christian. In our flesh, it is literally impossible to love our enemies. This is strictly something that comes from God and God alone. It is a supernatural love. Matthew 5, 43-44 says, 
you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In closing, do you want the biggest boost of morale that I can think of? Turn to Psalm chapter 2. You're going to love this. Let me show you how God looks at those who oppose him. Verses 1 through 4 of Psalm chapter 2 says this. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And this is Jesus Christ being the anointed. Saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. It's as if to say, let us defy God and be autonomous apart from him. There is no God and we want nothing to do with him. What is God's response to this pathetic plan of theirs? He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He mocks them. These puny, weak humans fail to realize that all of this evil doesn't injure God in the slightest. They're doing absolutely nothing to interrupt his plans or get in his way. It's quite the opposite, in fact. All they've done is doom themselves in the process, and God is unaffected by their attempts. How amazing is that? God just laughs at those who oppose him because they don't realize how powerless they are in reality. But even with that in mind, please pray for your enemies and draw near to the Lord. We need a strong general in the midst of this war, and the only person who can bring us to victory is King Jesus. He is mighty in power, and he has already secured the victory for us. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you like what we're doing, please share this podcast with everyone you know. Not only can more people be potentially blessed by it, but those who need to hear some good news in these dark times could be drawn to the Lord through his grace and love. The greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone or anything extinguish that light that's within you. Why? Because greater is he who redeems us than the powers and principalities of this world. Don't ever forget that. Until next time, I'm Ryan, and have a great weekend. Take care, and God bless you.